can you have um, Joe take that back for me, please? Because I want you to actually testify. Some young men are still giving. And there's always uh, boxes in the back before and after service. Joe, would you take that for him? I'm going to ask Berto to stay back and testify about today and what that meant uh, for him. Some of you don't know, but uh, Berto, would you come on over here? Berto has a sister that actually converted to Islam. Some of you all don't know that. We need to pray for her. Um, we had Sally testify in our first service who came from a convert to uh, Christianity from Islam from being born in Kuwait, and she shared her faith. Would you share what the debate today meant to you, and what do you think the YouTube video and the things will mean to people like your sister who are born and raised Catholic, who didn't know anything about the scriptures, and yet when a Muslim came, they were bamboozled into believing that lie? Would you explain what that just meant to you as you were sharing with me? Uh, just seeing uh, the debate this morning and how Pastor Joe put the eight facts of, uh, you know, defining who Jesus Christ is, the man did not answer to one question that he uh, was supposed to. And uh, it's just show right there just how Islam is very uh, self-centered. This man was not no way accepting and receiving the scripture. He actually said that he has nothing against the Bible, and he's with it. But then at the same time, he contradicted himself because he's saying that, you know, he can approve to the prophecy. But he still he says that he believes in prophecy. So right there, you see the confusion, and then it's really sad because Muslims are reaching the African-American community, the Catholics. They're in prisons trying to stray people away from Christ, and it, it breaks my heart, and it really just gets a, 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 get, it, it bothers me, you know, because my sister has been a Muslim for about four or five years, and, uh, and uh, I try to preach the truth to her. And there's a deceiving, and there's a very demonic force upon the, uh, the Muslim people, um, that they don't know, they're blinded. They're blinded, and uh, we, we must continue to pray for them that God will open up their eyes to uh, receive the truth and believe and humble themselves to, to, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord Savior because that's the only way they'll be forgiven from their sins. That is the only way. Uh, God is merciful, but the blood of Jesus will cleanse their sins, and that they got to accept them to be Lord, not a prophet. So it meant a whole lot. Would you do me a favor? Let's pray for Muslims in this country who are here. We don't have the ability to speak to them in other countries like Saudi Arabia. It's illegal, illegal to own a Bible. Pakistan, if you speak anything against the prophet, as I am doing right now, he is not a prophet. That's against the blasphemy law. We'll sentence you to death being beheaded, just saying that. But yet we have so many in this country, so many that are like Ahmed that were here, that are in our country, on our jobs. We want to respect them, but we also want to preach to them. You know I have a book back there answering Christianity. Maybe somebody may want to buy it and, and put it in a, their friend's hands. But can we pray today for your sister and for others who may be being tempted by this lie and even those who are here brought up in it, that they'll come back to Jesus, they'll come to Jesus Christ like Sally did and how her life is so much different now. Would you pray for them? Father God, we love you, God. Lord God, we believe, God, in you and the power of, of Jesus Christ. And, God, we just ask you, Lord God, that you would just open up the hearts, open up the minds of the Muslim community, God, every single one of them, Father God, that you just show them the truth, God. I pray that you give them visions, you give them dreams, Father God. And, Lord God, that you will draw them to you, Jesus, for you say that you will draw all men unto you, Father God. And I just ask you, Lord, Father God, and we believe, Father God, they will come forth to you, Jesus Christ. I just come against that demonic force, that deceiving spirit. I command you, Satan, to set loose every single Muslim. Muslim people, in Jesus' name, we declare freedom. We declare freedom. I declare it in Jesus' name, God. We ask, Lord Father, that there will be an opening, God, that there will be opportunity, God, that you give us the boldness, you equipped us, God, as Christians, Lord, to know the truth of the gospel, Father God, to know how to defend the faith, Father God, to be real disciples, Father God, trained up, Father God, and to reach out to this to this people, God, that don't know you, Jesus. God, we ask for your grace. For your grace and your mercy, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up for Berto sharing that testimony, amen. <laughs> Praise God. We're doing a series right now on overcoming life's uh, storms. A couple weeks ago, we talked about broken relationships. Go back and listen to that if you've ever had your heart broken. Because we talked about how Jesus Christ can heal the brokenhearted. Last week we talked about life's letdowns and how things that go wrong in life that we had no choice over, but they go wrong and we have to deal with them. 
And then today we're going to be talking about past failures, basically how to get past your past, how to get out of the sin, the junk of your life, and to move forward. And then I have one more left, August 28th. I want you to come, fill up these chairs, bring your friends, because we're going to talk about secret sins. And you know a lot of your friends and people that we know are dealing with issues. They keep it a secret. Everybody go, shh, it's a secret. See, nobody wants to talk about their struggles. you got to learn to take off your mask. And I want you to come next week and help people do that. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Today, we're going to talk about past failures. We're going to be looking at our man Jonah. Some of you have remembered this from Sunday school. It's a powerful message. This is going to be Sunday school for adults. So strap on in and get excited. And great to see all these young people here, by the way. It's awesome to see you guys. As well, let's turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. When you're there, can somebody say, I'm there? Amen. Boy, second service, man. I, I don't know what's going on with y'all today, man. Does anybody love Jesus in second service right here? I mean, should I just go home now and just say, man, we done went to church and this was it? You know, the, 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 the four or five of you here, should I preach for you guys this morning? Do you feel my struggle? Is you feel my struggle right now, don't you? Praise God. But you know what? I think it's a good thing. And I'm, I, I don't want to browbeat the sheep today, but I really do think it's a good thing because everybody who wanted to really be at this debate, nothing against those of you who didn't, came. And a lot of you now may hide behind those people. You may hide behind that crowd. And so today I'm going to teach you how to have church. And so when I say amen, you say amen. When I turn to a scripture, you turn there with me in your Bible. All you young adults, you get excited for Jesus, okay? So stop being lazy. Don't be backslidden or I'll just rebuke you and preach another message, amen? I mean, that's what I'm about. I'm not about performing for anybody, okay? Uh, this church was built upon preaching the word of God, and that's all I'm about. To hell with anything else. I'll tell you that right now, okay? So just, man, you better fake it till you make it right now. Okay? So you better just look at your neighbor and say, you better start amening or he's going to change his message and then it ain't going to be the one we got on the screen. It's going to be a lot difficult for us. Okay, we'll, we'll start off in the book of Genesis, preach to Revelation. Amen. So help me out today. I already got up. I had a debate. A Muslim God was glorified. First service was packed. And I want you all to be excited for Jesus today. Amen. So just wake up, do whatever you got to do to help assist me today. Okay, Jonah chapter 1. Here is the story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatti, and he said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. These were pagan people. They hated the Israelites. Jonah is a prophet to the Israelites. And at this time, they started to kind of bicker, and there was going to be a war eventually, and Assyria did eventually take over Israel and put them all into bondage. So here, even before the war breaks out, they don't like each other but God says Jonah you go to the people of Nineveh what this shows us is that God cares about even our enemies so when we learn about Islam today the different nations Afghanistan Pakistan etc God cares about those people and even sends his prophets to them so Jonah wasn't going to Jerusalem he wasn't going to Judea he's going to Nineveh that would be like God sending me to Beijing or sending me to Kabul or sending you to Baghdad that is the equivalency verse 3 but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. When he went down to Joppa, he found a ship bound at the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God said, hey, I want you to go this way. And then he said, God, that's great, but I'm going to go this way. He went the total opposite direction. As a matter of fact, Nineveh is like going towards China, going towards the east. Tarshish is in India. That was the farthest place of the world they knew at that time. We don't have to say amen or raise your hands to this, but I'm just wondering if there's any of you that have ever heard the Lord say, thou shall not, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cute, but I'm going to do my own thing anyway. God has said, thou shall obey your parents, and you turn your back and say, oh, I'm going to disrespect him. God says, do not lust, do not have sex outside of marriage, and you say, oh, no, I'm just going to do the complete opposite. God says, you know, not to be jealous, not to envy. Here Jonah did that exact same thing. God told him to go this way. He said, no, I will go that way. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea in such a violent storm. Everybody say great wind. There you all doing better. Come on, violent storm. Oh, now I feel like I'm in church. Just give yourself a hand clap for that. Come on. 
Amen. Praise God. I feel like I came to Metro Praise this morning. Amen. For a minute, I thought I was at the frozen chosen first backslidden church of Nazarenes or whatever. Y'all listen, I thought I was at St. Mary's Church of whatever. I'm glad I'm back at Metro Praise this morning. Amen. Praise God. If I got to go see Father Tom, we're in trouble. Amen. Number four, the, then the Lord sent a great wind and a violent storm, and it threatened to break up the ship. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. Now, my friends, you know if the sailor is scared, you are in some trouble. You know, I like to fly planes because it saves the time. don't like to drive a whole lot. I love to fly. But how many know when turbulence starts to hit, you get a little nervous and, you know, you don't feel comfortable? You know what they always teach me? Keep your eyes on the stewardess. When you're flying, just look at the stewardess. Look at your neighbor and say, don't look at them. Look at the stewardess. <laughs> say, don't look at them. Look at the stewardess. So I was listening to my friend talking. You know what he said? He said, I was on the plane. It started to shake bad. Then smoke came into the, into the, uh, the airplane. In the line, somebody started shouting. Ah! He looked behind him, and it was the stewardess screaming. So you know what he did? He wet his pants. Because what do you do when the stewardess starts to scream the loudest? You freak out on a plane because they're saying to you, hey, this ain't just like normal. They're screaming. And he said that the smoke came into the plane. They had to make an emergency landing. Now, could you imagine, Jonah, you're on the ship. The sailors are used to storms. I don't know if you've ever seen America's greatest catch, you know, the deadliest catch. But these guys go through all of these waves. They're totally cool. They're not doing anything to get scared. But all of a sudden, these guys got scared. So imagine how bad it was. But look out, verse 5, all the sailors were afraid, each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below to the deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. Everybody say deep sleep. Now I want you to think about this. Sailors are scared, but Jonah, he's sleeping. Why do you think that is? Because he was so numb to what was going on. Do you know that you can get so far away from God that even people around you are saying, no, something's not right, something's not right. But you can be so far away from God that you start justifying yourself. And you say, no, I'm okay. I don't feel anything. Everything. I, I'm just sleeping. And you have no idea that the only reason why you're sleeping is because you've gotten so far away from God, you can't even see what's going on around you. Come on, somebody say, look out. Come on, my preacher's still here this morning. Somebody say, look out. See, we didn't need them anyway. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Look at verse uh, 6. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. These guys are freaking out going, dude, what's wrong with you? Maybe he'll take care of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and a lot fell on Jonah. They used a pagan device of kind of like throwing down bones. And it actually was used by God to point to Jonah. And it's like, hold on, Jonah, you're the one. The reason why you're asleep and you're not freaking out is because you're so far away from God. You can't even tell what's going on. And now we find out you're actually the problem. So look at verse 8. So they asked him, they said, tell us, who is responsible for making this trouble? What did you do? Where did you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. Why did that terrify them? Because now they're like, oh, dude, we're playing to idols. They can't do any of that. Your God must be the real God because he just done almost destroyed our entire boat. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was already running from the Lord because he had told them. Let's keep going to the next verse. The captain went to him and said, the seas are getting rougher and rougher. Everybody say rougher and rougher. Amen. Which verse am I on? There we go. The seas were getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm for us? And he said to them, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will be calm. And I know that if this is my fault. That this great storm has come upon. Everybody say, my fault. Come on, let's just say it like we really like that phrase. Let's get used to saying that this morning. Somebody say, my fault. Okay, now husbands and wives, the few of you are here, look at each other and just say, it's my fault. See, husbands and wives, you need to get used to saying that. No, it's my fault. No, 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 it's my fault. No, it's my, I insist, it's my. Wouldn't marriage go better, so much better like that? Instead of whose fault it is, it's his fault. His fault, right? Who's, it's her fault. 
You see, what we got here is that Jonah says, it's my fault. What you have to realize is that when we're dealing with failures and sins is that God wants to hear you say, it's my fault. It's not based on how my mom and dad raised me. It's not because of my society. It's not because of the things that necessarily I see other people doing. It is my fault. Everybody say, my fault. So Jonah took the blame. He said, it's my fault. Throw me over the sea. Now look at verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. You know how I see this right here? I see this as the deeds of the flesh, that God is telling them, this is what you need to do to make it right. Send Jonah overboard. But they're like, no, we're going to make it right on our own. We're going to try to row back. And so many times when, when we're in trouble, we just say, well, I'm just going to make it right on my own. You know, I'm just going to try to raise my family a little better now. Or, I, you know, I'm just going to move in with the person I'm having sex with because, you know, even though we're not married, at least we can live together and raise our children together. And that's why you got people who have been living together for like 12, 13 years with children now. And, and oh, they're just going to try to work it to, to be better. And then somebody says, well, you know what, I'm just going to come to church every now and then. I don't need to be a disciple. I don't need to be a one-on-one. I, I'm just going to come every now and then and try to make it better. Did it work? No, the Bible says, but the sea grew even wilder. Everybody say wilder. It grew even wilder. You see, your efforts cannot change your circumstance. When you are in a situation where you have sinned against God, like Jonah did, all the good you do, going to church, helping the poor old ladies cross the street, being a good person, saying I'm not as bad as I used to be, will not change the situation. Verse 14, then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, O Lord, because we have done as you please. So they're basically saying, God, we're about ready to throw this dude overboard. Just don't hold it against us as murder. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Everybody say, calm. Come on, just say calm. Thank you. And at this time, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. We're going to go through all three chapters of Jonah. There's four, but we'll go through three. And I want you to learn lessons as we go. The first thing that we see, number one, is disobedience has its consequences. Everybody say consequences. Thank you. My dad told me, he said, son, you're free to make your choices, but not your consequences. You, right now, you could go, yeah, I want to have my lunch on Highway 94. You can make the choice to have your lunch on Highway 94. You can't choose the consequence of a car hitting you on Highway 94. You could say, yes, I want to do what I want. I don't need to wait to have sex till I'm married. I'll have sex right now. You can do that, but you can't choose whether or not you'll get pregnant. You can say, well, I'm not going to give my tithe. You know, that's something that, ah, it's my money. God doesn't need it. And you can make that choice, but you can't choose the consequence of not being under God's blessing. What we learn with Jonah is that he made a choice. God didn't force him. God didn't put a leash around him and drag him on down to Nineveh. God said, go to Nineveh for me. And yet Jonah said, no, I'll go to Tarsus. And what was the consequences? The ship. And all of the storms that he faced and being thrown overboard. Have you ever found yourself in life being in places that you knew you shouldn't be and they were because of your own bad decisions? I need you to listen to me. I'm not talking about uh, things that happen to you as letdowns as we talked about last week. Things that you have no control over. Losing your job. Somebody in your family dying. You being sick or injured. Or something happening that's out of your control. I'm talking today about things that are inside of your control. Have you ever suffered for wrongdoing? You know, I could tell you a few stories about this. I'll start off with one that's, you know, a little bit more lighter, a little bit funnier. Uh, when I first uh, started pastoring, I was in the inner city of New Orleans. We were helping out the community. We were bringing people to the church. Started off as cars, put them all in the Saturn. Then we started getting vans, and then we put them all in the, you know, how many did you fit in there? My record of putting people in a 15-passenger van was 32 people. Yes, 32 people in a 15-passenger van. My, my record for a minivan is a little bit under 20. 18 people in a minivan. Somebody say amen. 
So I would bring people to church, and then eventually it grew to a bus. And so I had to get a bus to bring the people to church. And so we went out and bought a bus, and as I was buying the bus, somebody said to me, Joe, you just can't drive a bus, a school bus, 44-passenger bus by yourself. You have to go get a CDL license. So I didn't know that. So guess what I did? I just drove my bus, drove it on down to the CDL station to get the bus. I'm thinking, man, the driver's license test is just going to be like red light stop, green light go, turn on your turn signal. I'm just thinking, how much more complicated could a bus be? Well, after I show up and take the test, 100 questions on what to do with hazardous materials, how to exit children properly out of the back, what to do at a railroad stuff. I failed the test miserably. Somebody say miserably. But here's the problem. I had the bus in the DMV parking lot. So then the woman, as she's handing me the test, she's saying to me, you failed the test. You cannot drive a school bus. And then she kind of looks out the window and she goes, uh, is that your school bus? Now, at this point right here, I, would just, I, I just wanted to be Christian and tell her the whole truth, but I just, I, I just couldn't. So I was like, yeah, that's my school bus. And then immediately she said, did you drive the school bus here? And this is where I could just hear the Lord saying, son, tell her the truth. And then all of a sudden, this little voice inside of me said, tell her a lie. And it was a choice, go in this direction or in this direction. God says, do this. But I hear this voice tell me to go in the opposite direction. And I said, no, I didn't drive the bus here. My friend drove the bus. And here's the guy, Tyrone, in the bus that was homeless the day before. He's just sitting in the bus waving at me. I'm waving at him. And I said, that's the guy who drives the bus right there. He's just waving at me. Hey, Pastor, what's going on? And so she goes, okay, well, you better have him drive the bus out of here. So I show up into the bus. And I'm like, listen, Tyrone, you got drive the bus out of here. He's like, what you talking about, Pastor? I ain't got a license. I'm like, listen, dude, hey, you want to drive the bus? Hey, we're okay. You're the bus driver. We're going to drive the bus right out of here. He's like, look, Pastor, I don't even know how to drive fix shift. I don't even know what to do. I'm like, drive the bus! It's right in. Let's get it out of here! <laughs> this is his bus. And as we're driving down the road, I could just feel the storms raging. I felt like a sinner. Here I am with the homeless dude that I brought off the street, staying in my house, and I've just lied to him, the DNV. You see, we've all made mistakes that we think, oh, this will be better. It'll be so much better this way. And it wasn't. It wasn't better. And guess what happened? And I didn't share this in the last service. I ended up blowing the engine on that bus. I didn't know how to take care of a bus. I didn't know what I was doing with the bus. Wasted over $4,000 on that bus. And it was God's way of saying, son, you didn't listen to me. You didn't take the precautions to own a bus. You didn't learn about taking care of a bus. And now at the same time of saying something that's funny, I mean, I can also tell you some serious stories of times where Disobeying God had consequences in my life that were just devastating. I remember one time uh, when I was 15 years old, my friend started accepting Christ because we had a radical new youth pastor. And uh, he was teaching us, you know, go after God, live for God. And I remember, you know, our youth meetings before used to be like pizza parties and these different things. But when he came, there, there used to be, now there's worshiping, they would raise their hands. I would see my friends crying at the altars. And I just began to say, man, I mean, I don't know if I can do this, but I went to one of the services, and God touched my heart, and I said, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I was 15 years old. I had been backslidden since I was a young child. The only time that I really knew the Lord when I was about 8, 9 years old, but this whole time I'd been really bad. And I accepted the Lord at 15. He even baptized me in the church. I, I said in front of the whole church, I'm going to live for Jesus. And um, we started having discipleship. And during that discipleship time, he started looking at the more mature students, and he started saying, I want you to be in charge of this ministry and that ministry, and I was waiting to be picked. And he said, Joe, I said, I'm sorry, but you're not ready yet. He said, I want you to follow this young man as he leads a ministry at your high school. I got so mad at PT that day, the pastor, that's what we call him, Pastor Tim, I got so mad at him that I stormed out of the church. I said, you don't understand me. You don't know what God's done in my life. I went and got high that night, started gambling with my friends. 
And by the end of the week, I totally forgot about my commitment to Jesus Christ. Do you know that then for the next three years of my life, I experienced things that even to this day I carry around with me? I have a scar on, um, not that leg. No, is it this leg? <laughs> Which leg is the scar on that? That's just the little birthmark. I have a scar on this leg right here because I broke into a gas station. I put my foot through the door. Of the, it was a glass window. We threw a brick in it, and I was going to go in, but there was a little jagged piece, and I was going to kick it, but I was so high that I slipped, and the piece of glass is went right into my leg, came this close to cutting off my tendons. I had to get stitches in three layers of skin. My friend dropped me off at the hospital and left me there. I had to walk two miles to my car. I had a gun pulled on me. I was in a fight. And I beat up this young man, and then he left, and he came back, and I didn't know what was wrong with him, so I was beating him up again. and when <laughs> Beating him up. And when I, when I was on top of him beating him up, my friend said that he saw his hand pull the gun out of his pocket. He had a little twenty-two. He was pulling it out of his pocket to my head. And my friend to this day testifies and says he has no idea how he got off of the couch to where he was and knocked the gun out of his hand. But the gun was loaded and going to my head. I also then began to do harder drugs. When I was on crystal meth, I remember sitting in the back seat of a car feeling that I was going to die. And my friends brought me to a gas station and were going to leave me there. But I begged for them to put me back in the car as I was puking and I was about ready to pass out. I also remember having sex with girls that I don't even remember their names, and I remember catching two STDs, one that was found out when I was a new believer at 18 and one that followed me dormant in my body all the way to the time when I got married, and because of my wife having symptoms that they had, they said that this one is curable, but it had been dormant in your body and only manifests in the woman's body. Also during this time, I was arrested eight times for my friend sold cocaine, my other friend committed suicide, another one was, uh, was killed in gang violence, and in one of those jail times, I had to serve 40 days in a juvenile delinquent center, and we were on lockdown because there was too many students, and I remember being in that place for uh, not being able to go out except for one hour a day. We would be in there 23 hours a day, and I remember going crazy and suffering from depression, hearing voices in my head. It wasn't until I was 18 years old, and some of you don't know the full testimony, that I said to my mother, here's the quote, I said, I am going crazy, can you put me in a mental hospital? But what was my friend Wayne and the other ones doing who I got saved with 15 years ago, uh, when we were 15 years old? They were already living for God. They had already started Bible college. They were already getting married and starting their families at young ages. Some of my friends have children right now that are already in high school because that God was able to bless them. Well, I was throwing my life away. And my plea to my mother that day was, I feel like I'm going insane. That was the thing she said back to me. You don't need a mental hospital. All you need is Jesus. You see, it took the entire world I was living in to go through a storm and me to even say to my own friends, you don't even want to be with I remember sitting down with my friend and saying to him, you don't even want to be with me anymore because I am no fun because I hate what we're doing. And I remember him even saying, Joe, you need to go get help. And you know when your crazy friends say you're crazy, you are really crazy. And it was that day that I gave my life to the Lord, November 5th, 1995. Right now I want you to be honest with yourself. What are the times that you've disobeyed God? gone against his word. Are you in a storm right now? Maybe you're in a place right now that you're thinking to yourself, how do I get out of this? My life is so messed up. That's what Jesus is here for, and that's why we want you to hear this message. Let's keep going now. Now we see Jonah. He's in the belly of a whale. Chapter 2, verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prays to the Lord. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. How many are glad God answers us even when we've made mistakes? Come on, how many are glad that he still loves us even as dirty, rotten sinners? He said, I called to the Lord, and he heard me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. You listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All the waves and breakers swept over me. He said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look towards your holy temple. He said, man, I'm in the belly of a whale. This is so messed up right now, but I'm willing to change. 
He said, I'm not going to look towards, towards Tarsus anymore. He said, I'll start looking towards Jerusalem now. I'll look towards where you want me to be. And then he continues on. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep, uh, the, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. We believe that he was somewhere between the esophagus and the stomach of a great whale. And there the seaweed was wrapped around his head. He's in probably about a two-foot wide esophagus. He's probably squashed like this. His feet are dangling over the acid of the stomach that could wear away at his body. And here the seaweed, the seafood uh, that, that the, the, the creature has eaten is around his head. And he said, the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth bared me and barred me in forever. He said, but you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you, your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I will, with a song of thanksgiving, sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. What does Jonah realize in this time right here? That he's not God. That he's not in charge of his own life. He realizes at this point that walking the walk of flesh will always lead to destruction. The proverb says it like this. There is a way that seems right in the eyes of a sinner or a man, but in the end it is the way of death. He said, it's my fault. He said, it's my fault that I'm here. But now that I'm here, I'll turn towards you. Is that your heart today? Or do you want to run away from God? I want you to take a look at the whale here. Verse 10 says, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is a sperm whale that can get over 45 feet in length. This is just what we have now. Who knows what we have now? Who knows what was around 2,000 years ago? You see what he is uh, like a man. Here's a man standing next to it. As I said before, do I believe it literally happened? Yes, I believe he was somewhere between the esophagus and the stomach. He's there for three days and three nights. And what does he do at this point? He confesses his failures to God. Everybody say confess. Thank you. He acknowledges that I've been wrong. He acknowledges I haven't been serving the Lord and doing what is right. How hard it is for us to do this. When was the last time you were caught doing something wrong? And instead of confessing, you made excuses. Oh, but, you, you know, I don't, I don't know any other way but to treat somebody like this. You know, maybe somebody gets angry at you, and they say, why are you yelling? Why are you cursing? Well, I'm sorry, I was raised this way. You know, maybe you're used to having, you know, uh, certain things in life. And, and God says, why aren't you giving? Why aren't you giving a tithe? Because greed is such a big thing in people's hearts these days. And you say, well, you know what, I, I need the money, and, and, and God doesn't need the money. Instead of saying, you know what, I've been struggling with greed. I've been struggling with my own insecurities. I look at the times in my life when I have been in the deepest storms and the deepest pits. The hardest thing is to confess that I'm wrong. And yet it's the only thing that can get me into a right place with God. Think about the times that you've been in that deep, dark pit, the arguments going on between your spouse, parents. You're, you're getting in trouble with your children. Children, you're rebelling against your parents, vice versa. You know, people are just doing wrong. And in your mind, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. But here Jonah says, no, it's my fault. I'm going to turn and face God today. I'm going to repent and make it right with God. I want to give you 12 signs today to help you know whether or not you're running away from God or running to God. It's found on our blog. I just blogged about it last week. It's 12 signs you're running from God. I want you to write these down and check your heart today and see if you may be one of these people that is running from God instead of taking the blame yourself like how Jonah did. The first thing how you can know if you're running from God is if you're running from the leadership that either led you to the Lord or brought you to the closest place you are in Jesus. You can't be around them anymore. You can't be around me as your pastor or your life group leader. And the reason is, is because you know you're running from God. You'll go to another church and you'll say, well, they love me here. They understand, but they don't know you there. They don't know what you were doing months before that. You've gone to another place that doesn't know you, just like Jonah going from Nineveh to Tarsus. No one knew him there. 
Of course they didn't expect him to be a prophet. They didn't know that he had received a word. You see, your leadership who wins you to the Lord and brings you to close places will help remind you of the words that God spoke to you while you're trying to run away from those words. I have scriptures for all of these. I don't have time to name off the scriptures. Just check the blog and you'll see each scripture. That one, by the way, was Hebrews 3.10, but I don't have time to name them all. Number two, you make excuses and compare yourselves to others to make yourself look good. So instead of looking at Jesus Christ and the perfect law of God, you begin to compare yourselves to others in the group. Well, have you done what I did? Oh, yeah, we've both messed up and run away from our church and leadership, and we're all running away from God. Well, you feel good. I feel good. Well, then we both must be good. The problem is you're comparing yourself with yourselves. You have not allowed the leadership to be in that comparison, and most importantly, you have not allowed Jesus Christ and his perfect word to be there. Number three, you love to point out the speck in your brother's eye while you don't see the plank in your own eye. Well, who are you to correct me? Well, who's the pastor, Joe, to correct me? Well, he's even told a lie. Oh, that pastor, he's such a liar. You see, you love to point out the speck in other people's eyes. Oh, oh, this pastor, oh, this church, this leadership, this life group, oh, they're, they're not good enough to lead me. And you don't see that in your own eye is a big plank because you compare yourself to other people. Number, th- uh, number four, you expect people to support your decisions, but you no longer can support your decisions by the word of God. Well, I just want you to support me. Don't judge me. It's not your job to judge. Just support me. You should be happy for me. I'm going to another church. I found another mentor. I'm doing another type. You should be happy. Listen to me, friends. Friends don't let friends backslide. A true friend doesn't let you backslide. It doesn't work that way. Friends that make you feel comfortable running from God are not really your friends. Because you're trying to say, support my decision, but the people around you are saying, support your decision by the word of God. Show me the word of God where it says this. Show me the word of God where you behave this way. Show me the word of God where we hop from church to church to church when it doesn't go right with us. No, you're running from God. Number five, you say to yourself, you're not that bad and things could be worse. That's how you know you're running from God. Well, I'm not who I used to be. Well, I'm not worshiping Satan and drinking goat's blood and snorting heroin anymore. Well, we're so good. We're so happy for you. Thank you for not being the menace to society you used to be. But once again, we're not comparing how good you are to who you used to be. We're comparing the word of God that you have today to live up to. We see the future in the person you're really supposed to be. And that's why the church is not letting you off easy. It's because we're not looking just at how great you are from your past. We're still reminding you of who you knew to be. Stop running away. Run towards God. Run towards a transformed life. I thank God for pastors that always told me the way a T.I. is. As it is, baby. Number six. You redefine what you call Christianity and being a disciple to make it have you look good. Well, no. <laughs> well, that stuff in the book, that's just not real Christianity. Let me tell you what real Christianity is. It's going to church on Sunday. It's putting a little money in the bucket, and it's putting scriptures on Facebook. That's Christianity, and I'm real good at that. Christianity was never you putting verses on Facebook and saying you like hill songs, Bubba. Christianity was, was defined by Jesus Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. If you do not deny yourself, you cannot be my disciple. Stop redefining Christianity and discipleship by what makes you look good. Define it by the Bible. Let's put the Bible definition up cheer. Amen? Somebody say up cheer. Come on, somebody. All on the blog, by the way. Number seven, you are easily offended when others who used to lead you now question you what you do. Well, who are you to question me? I'm so offended. I'm so offended. You shouldn't question me. Don't you understand? I have a relationship with God. I am, I am having breakfast with the Apostle Paul. I'm going to the seventh heaven with the Apostle John. 
I read my Bible frontward to backward, backward to frontwards. Who are you to judge me? Relax, dude. I was just asking you was last time you looked at porn. I was just asking you when was the last time you prayed and read your Bible. I was asking you the last time you were convicted by the Lord of your laziness and complacency because don't we all deal with it? See, people who do not want to be held accountable are the very ones who are saying, I'm offended. I remember growing up in the Christian church and, and wanting to be free from pornography. And the best way for me to be free from pornography was to tell people if I dealt with it and struggled with it, you know, not ladies, but guys, my friends. And I remember talking to some guys, you know, youth pastors, and I would say, Hey, man, uh, dude, I'm just, you know, trying to live holy here, cold showers. No, not looking at pornography. You know, how do you do it? Uh, um, uh, I don't know how I do it. Uh, and I'm like, when was the last time you looked at it? That's none of your business. I'm your youth pastor. It's none of your business. And I'm thinking to myself, the only reason why you're getting offended is because you were looking at BigHooters.com last night with a bowl full of strawberry lotion and getting it on with righty. Because people love their sin. People love their sin. They get offended when you ask them, when was, well, you can, when was the last time you got in a fight with your wife, Pastor? My, my pastor can ask me any question according to life and godliness because he's there to help guide me. Number eight, you pick friends and churches that make you feel good with your compromise. Hercules, Hercules. Well, we got a new church member here. They're just as backslidden as us. Aren't you happy to have them here in the greasy, gray, sloppy, agape assembly? Oh, whoa, we're so happy. You're just as backslidden as us. Welcome to the ship uh, that Jonah was on. Let's all pray to our own God. Let's all do it our own way. Of course, there's no problem with you on the ship because they're all just as backslidden. And you might say, oh, Pastor, you're being hard. Well, read your Bible. <laughs> read your Bible. It makes it, it, makes it hard when you're hard-headed and hard-hearted. And when you look around and you, you see people that are not doing what you once did, and you're seeing people that are affirming now what you're doing, and they're just like you, you're around the wrong set of people. Because the things that you used to do, you need to go back and do. Here's another one. Number nine. You justify your actions by your actions, not by the word of God, but by your actions. And you say, if I was so wrong, bad things would happen. People forget that sinners live good lives too. You see, when Jonah was on the boat at the beginning, of course it was good. The ship was sailing. Everything's fine. And that's how people are right now. Oh, well, you know, if I was doing something wrong, my life would be falling apart. I couldn't pay my bills. My house would catch on fire. Lightning would strike me. See, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, my life is good. What they forget is that you're just in the waiting period before the storm. Sure, Lady Gaga's life is good right now. You don't think she has fun shipping champagne? Sure, Steve Jobs' life is good right now with Apple climbing to the top of the economy. But I can tell you something. A storm is coming to their life. Lives, and a storm will come to yours as well. You forget that the Bible says that even sinners find comfort in this world. God will allow them to do it for a season. Number 10, you say if you go back, people will judge you and you'll be too embarrassed. I don't know if I want to go back to that church. People are going to judge me. What are you thinking? Do you think, oh, we're just so judgmental of you now. Look at you repenting. Boo, hoo, hoo. You should have stayed out there, you little dirty, rotten sinner. Have you ever seen that at an altar call? Prodigal sons are welcome. Sons and daughters, come back home. Come back home. Repent. I've been baptized three times. This is your pastor. How can I judge you on your journey? But come back and make it right. No one here is going to embarrass you. Well, let's give it up for Sister So-and-So. She was backslidden last week. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's talk about what she did. That's not what we do here. We embrace brothers and sisters here, and we say come back to Christ. Lastly, number uh, no, 11, 11, we've got two more. 11, you try to make grace an excuse to live in sin and compromise. 
Oh, you know, God forgives. Oh, God forgives. Really? I didn't know about that one. You know, I'm kind of thinking about having a beer then and going down to Vegas and gambling a little bit and getting a prostitute. I'll be back next week, guys, because God forgives. Hey, honey, I'm just going to take a break from the marriage. God forgives. God forgives. And don't you judge me. Oh, don't you judge me. I will be the pimping, Las Vegas prostitute buying, alcohol drinking, dope smoking pastor, but I'll be forgiven. And don't you judge me. Oh, yeah, we love to say that, don't we? Oh, God's just going to forgive me. God's just going to love me silly. And I just get to do whatever I want to do because that's why he died on the cross after all. It sounds silly when the pastor says it, right? Oh, yeah, let the pastor, let me just have a bad attitude one day. You're such a sinner. Pastor, you're so, I get this all the time. Pastor, you offended me. You're such a sinner. Like, I just sin like a half a sin, and it's like I'm going to hell. But we got people just backslide, just living in the luxury of sin. Just, oh, I'm so forgiven, man. I'm just forgiven. You know, I love you, baby, but we're forgiven. That's good sex is when you get forgiven when you're done. God, forgive me for having an adulterous affair with the girlfriend that I'm living with right now. Just help me to do better. Okay, honey, you ready for round two? I mean, that's how we think. Y'all living together. You're not married. You shouldn't do that. But we're forgiven. Don't you judge. Don't you judge me. Let me tell you something. I will slap you upside your head with the Bible. <laughs> Men, I'll kick you where the sun don't shine. And then I'll ask you for that same bit of grace and forgiveness. Amen. Forgive me. Nobody's perfect. Boom. God bless you. God bless you. Well, that's the way we want it. But the Bible says you can't have it that way. Stop living that way. God's salvation is shown through your transformation. Hallelujah. And then lastly, number 12, you're just too mature. To go to church and be under leadership. I'm just so mature, Pastor. I don't need these books. No, thank you. I'm mature. Look at your neighbor and say, mature. You know, it's the ones that cry the most, act like babies, got the most duty in the pants, got to change their diaper. Dear God, what's wrong with you? That always say, I'm too mature. If you come to this church and you say, I'm too mature to be discipled, I'm too mature to follow God like this, I'm just going to do it out on my own, I'm going to be the Jacques Cousteau of spirituality, take my own journey down to the greatest depths of the spiritual treasure chest, see, pop the bottle of God's depth and just drink it in, you are deceived. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to go to church, I'm just so mature. No, no, no. And champagne, the bubbly, you know what I'm saying? Like you are not like some guy on a yacht right now going to the depths of God's great love. You are swimming in the baby pool with urine. Grow up. Show that you're mature. The Bible says show your maturity by your humility, by what you do in the church and how you serve the God in your life. So are we confessing our faults or making excuses? Those 12 ways to help you out. And let's go to the last chapter. Somebody say, I'm glad I came to church. See, amen, it got good at the end. So y'all just had to hang on and participate. Look at John chapter 3, verse 1. He's been spit out of the, the, the whale. He's laying up on the beach. And what does God say? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Praise God. How many are happy for second chances? Aren't you happy that God says, let's try this again. Let's rewind. Let's try it again. <laughs> okay, I'm God. You're Jonah. You, are you ready for this? Let me give it to you a second time. I love God that he gives us second chances. He says, okay, you've been tossed over. You've caused a mess. I've heard your cry for help. Now let me say it to you one more time. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Somebody say obeyed. Thank you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. 
Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. sackcloth. This is like a potato sack. It's very itchy, but it shows that you're, you're mourning. They took ash out of the fire, put it on their head. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and lay down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and its nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Everybody say, urgently call on God. Thank you. Let them give up their evil ways. Can you say give up their evil ways? Thank you. And their violence. Who knows? God may relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that they will not perish. Verse 10, some of the greatest, uh, one of the most greatest verses of the Bible, when God saw what they had did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. The message that God gave Jonah for Nineveh was actually the message for himself as well. Call on God and turn from your evil ways. Just in closing today, I just want to clarify to you what are evil ways. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, these are evil ways that can keep you from God. He says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Number one, sexual immorality. God has ordained that good sex only comes through a married couple, heterosexual, man and woman in marriage. Homosexuality is wrong even if it is marriage. Polygamy is wrong. Having sex with somebody you're not married to is wrong. Sex, according to the Bible, is one man, one woman in marriage. The next thing, impurity. This is to do sexual things from oral sex to masturbation to pornography to all the different types of petting and nudity or the thoughts of the mind. Impure sexuality, all the things that God allows people to do in the marriage bed is only for marriage. Non-married people thinking about those things, having sex with themselves or doing things like sexual things with others that don't involve sex but everything else, the touching and all of that is impure in God's eyes. It will take you away from the Lord. The next word is debauchery. The greatest definition of debauchery I can give you today that all of us will just go, I think I got it, Lady Gaga. Someone that is perverted and encourages perversion. That is debauchery. The Bible says if you participate in that or you celebrate that, you are running away from God. Idolatry. To put anything above God. And some people say, well, Pastor, my Jesus would never do that. That's why your Jesus would never judge you. Because your Jesus doesn't exist. He's a made-up idol that you made and started worshiping and called it Jesus. Your TV, your job can become idolatry, things that you place before God. This is the Bible, my friends. Be careful of these things. Witchcraft. Of course, this is worshiping Satan, but also the word witchcraft you need to know in the Greek is the Greek word pharmakeia, where we get our word pharmaceuticals and pharmacy. So we understand the Old Testament definition of witchcraft is the use and administering of drugs. We don't understand that from smoking of the weed to the doing of heroin, the hardest of those things, popping pills, it distorts the mind, allows our body to be under the control of Satan and his desires for our life. There are things you'll do on drugs you never would have done with a sober mind, and that's only to show you that you're under the power of Satan. It's the Bible. Hatred and discord. To hate your enemies, to hate people with a vengeance, and a discord. To have discord means a cord of a rope was made together with many cords, you know, like strands would make one rope. You've seen it, you know, it's, it's usually uh, something that's uh, like on boats and ships. Discord means you start pulling apart all of those strands. This means you're a gossip, you're a slanderer. You hate people, you talk about them behind their back. Jealousy. You look at what other people have and you say, I want that. I deserve that. They shouldn't have it. I deserve it. Your jealousy will take you away from God. Fits of rage, losing your temper, cursing, doing things out of anger, fighting, parents yelling at children, children yelling at parents, spouses with each other, bosses to employees, employees to bosses, on your job, in the car, wherever you go. If you have an uncontrollable temper and you've had that fit of rage, you're in danger of walking away from God. Selfish ambition. 
to do things out of selfishness. This is my job. I get to do what I want. It's my money. I'll spend it the way I want. This is my house. I'll do here what I want. This is my family. I'll take them where I want. If you ever put yourself in control of your life and think that God has to ask you for permission, you are living selfishly. And the Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? I'm still preaching good. I wish somebody would say amen. Come on, thank you. Dissensions and factions. Once again, dissensions to tear apart friends, factions to divide. Very similar to gossiping and slander. Envy, similar to jealousy. Drunkenness. We in this church know that Jesus drank wine, the apostles drank wine. It was part of their, their normal diet. But drunkenness is the overindulgence of wine, to become drunk, be controlled by the alcohol, to stumble, to, to say things and other things that you'll regret later, to do things that would, 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 would take the safety of others into your hands and to haphazardly do it. You wouldn't want to go to a drunk uh, airplane, into a drunk airplane, a, a drunk surgeon, and you know when you're intoxicated to that point. And the last one, we have to say what the Bible says, orgies, to have sexual intercourse, to be so gross and perverted. He says, I warn you. Everybody say, he warns us. As I did before, that those, who in, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to reinvert, review with you today as you stand up to your feet. Would you stand up to your feet and bless the Lord today for his word? Can you bless him? It's tight, but it's right. Band, would you come, please? Here's what we learned from the life of Jonah. Number one, disobedience has consequences. When you disobey God, you will suffer the consequences for your actions. Number two, when you're in those places, you need to confess your failures to God. And number three, become obedient to God's word. Today is your choice to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I know most of you would say, Pastor, I'm already saved, but you may be in danger of walking away from the Lord. This is a DC Talk song right now. You can get it on your, on your iPad. iPod is really cool. When we lose our way, we get back up again. How do you step out of your past? You stop living in your past. Stop letting your past dictate your future. If you say, man, I, I feel like I'm in the same place I was six months ago, it's because you've taken your same behavior six months ago and you've carried it with you, and now that's where you, that's where you are. Some people say, well, I'm going to move to a different city. I'm going to get a different job. Can I tell you the problem with that? When you get a new job, guess who still shows up to that job? You do. You're still there, and guess what? You still have those same problems. You may be on a new job, but you are still that old jacked-up person on a new job. You can run, like Keith Green said, you can run to the end of the highway and still not find what you're looking for until you start right here. See, we have to come to God and go, Lord, it's my fault, and I'm tired of carrying my past around with me. Would you please forgive me and give me another chance? This time I'll listen. This time I'll obey. To encourage you today in closing, you're not the only one. Adam and Eve sinned, brought spiritual death to the entire human race, were kicked out of the garden, and told that because of their behavior, death would reign over all mankind. But yet, God sacrificed an animal, clothed them in it, and gave Eve the promise that the Savior of the world would come through her. Talk about a God of second chances. I mean, how would you go on after you were Adam and Eve? But God said, I'll cover you. I'll cover your nakedness. And through you, I'll bring something good. Abraham, known as the father of faith, doubted God on three different times. His wife even laughed at God, Sarah, from her tent when she heard about having a baby at the age of 90. Yet in the book of Hebrews, he is called the father of the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and that he should be exemplified because he did not waver. Well, I thought he doubted. Do you know that when the Bible looks at his doubts, it doesn't consider them as true doubts because even though he was doubting, he didn't turn his back and run away. I mean, there's a difference between quitting and coming back and then quitting and never coming back. I mean, how many have ever gotten to a fight with somebody? I quit on you. 
We're never going to talk again. Then, like, till th- like, call him up at 12 o'clock at night, 3 in the morning. I just love you. I'll never say that again. Did you really quit? No. You came back. See, Abraham, he never really quit. He kept coming back, even when he was asked to sacrifice his own son. Moses, the person that we consider to be the wisest man, he was a murderer, killed an Egyptian soldier that was trying to abuse one of his fellow Jews. He ran away, was exiled to the desert for 40 years. When he met the Lord at a burning bush, he said to God, I'm just a stutterer. I can't go before Pharaoh. I need somebody. God said, I'll use you despite your stuttering. I'll use you despite your insecurity. And Moses became labeled in the Bible the meekest man that ever walked the earth. David, the man who cut off the giant's head, the man who conquered over a thousand people of God's enemy, brought peace to the land of Israel. In his later days, he committed adultery, killed the man's, uh, the woman's husband who you know, innocently killed him. And yet after he repented to the prophet Nathan, God said, David, I still will allow the Messiah to come from the house of David. And what do we call Jesus? What was he called? Jesus, son of David. Talk about a second chance. Peter denied Jesus three times, was called Satan by Jesus, and quit the church and quit everything and went back to fishing. And yet Jesus came to him, restored him three times. And guess who was the first person to preach on the day of Pentecost? It was Peter. Paul was there as a Jewish leader when the leaders of that day took off their jackets, threw them at Paul's feet, and stoned the Christian Stephen, and Paul was right there affirming it. He was a persecutor of the church. He threw Christians in jail. He himself said that he was the worst of sinners, but it was the Lord Jesus Christ that knocked him off of his horse, gave him a call to preach the gospel, and he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. And he called himself the worst of sinners. Your pastor's been baptized three times, arrested eight times, caught two STDs, high school dropout. Yet the Lord called me to go to Bible college. I finished my master's degree, have been pastoring for 13 years, safe for 15 years, happily married to my wife for two years, and today preaching the gospel in this church for six years. I can testify that God is the God of second chances. Whoever will call upon him, he'll give them another chance. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and let's pray. Father, I thank you today for bringing us all here. It was a little tough at the beginning, God. It was like a 58 Chevy. But God, you started it. I'm glad people stuck around for this message. Lord, now we ask you to change us, God, those who need it today. Altar workers, would you come, please? God, would you speak to our hearts, those who may be running a sprint right now. God, we ask you to speak to those, Lord, who may be just running with everything they got in the opposite direction. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I'm praying for you right now. That if you're here and you're running from God, you would stop running. And that you would see God's love in the midst of what you're going through. Maybe you're seeing a storm of your life right now and you're wondering, man, why why is God doing this to me? He does it because he loves you. It's the parent who doesn't love their child who lets their children run free, do whatever they want. It's the good parent that disciplines the child. And if you're in that place and you're saying, I'm feeling the, the discipline of the Lord, it's because he loves you. Or if you're in this place where you know you're running from God, but the storm hasn't even started yet, You still think you're okay. You're looking around and you're saying, well, it's not so bad yet. Take it from Jonah. It can get a lot worse. Stop running right now. I'm going to pray for you. Then we're going to worship before we dismiss. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. Because we want to pray with you to come back to Jesus and to live your whole life honoring him. I'm praying for you right now, Lord, if there's any here that are running, bring them back to you, God. Convict their heart today. 
wake them up from their deep sleep, God, of being numb and not feeling the conviction anymore. Wake them up, God, just like the sailors woke up Jonah. Wake up their hearts today, Lord. Let them know there's no condemnation, but, God, there's love and forgiveness in this house. And, Lord, I pray for real transformation today, real transformation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to sing this song. Band, would you start singing? Those who need prayer, would you just come forward right now? Come on, just make your way from wherever you are. Let's go. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just put on a tape, brother, so we can hear some worship here. Come on, we're going to worship him today before we go. God is in this place. Jesus is here. Just come. Don't wait. Don't even get distracted. The devil would love for you to get distracted right now. Focus on what you're here for. Come. Thank you. Now let's worship those who need to just worship if you're right. But those who need to come, come. God, I pray for transformation right now. You brought here those who needed to hear this message, God, and I pray there's transformation. In the name of Jesus. Right now, Lord, we pray for every person. If you still need to come, come quickly. We'll, we'll pray for you. Just wait in line. Don't wait. Put it up for me a little bit, please, brother. Come on, we need to worship. Those of you standing in the back, what you're telling me is you're right with God. So if you're right with God, I want to see you worship today. Come on, you should be thankful. But if you're not, you need to get up here quickly because God wants to change you. Stop running from the Lord. Jesus, just wait. Someone will pray with you. Come on. Jesus. Jesus, do it right now, God. Let each one of them that are here, God, stop running and come to you. Jesus, I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way. Come on, just come quickly. Wait at these altars. I want to see hunger for a, heart, for a changed heart today. Before we leave, let's get radical for Jesus. Would you put up the words of the song, please, today so they can sing it? I'm coming your way. It's simple for the rest of you. Those up here praying, let's go for God. Your way. I'm coming your way. Jesus. Come on, those of you here, just start worshiping. I'm coming your way, God. It's my declaration today. Nothing will keep me from you. Today is the day of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just worship to this for a few moments before we go. Would you turn it down just a little bit? We're going to pray. We're going to dismiss. If you need to go, you can. But we're going to open these altars for any needs you may have today. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. Bless our friends, our family. Bless us as we go our separate ways this week. But, Lord, let us always remember you're with us and that, God, you give us second chances. Bless us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, those that have to go. But we're going to keep praying. Keep that song playing, brother. We're up here. For any prayer you have today, don't leave out the same way you came. God is here. Thank you, Jesus. Joe, don't leave that door open. Just let them come and go. Thank you.